Christians, we have a saying, as folks join our church, that uh, if you're good at something, you need to find a way to do that with the church. Uh, if you're good at something, do it with the church. That's um, a fact I say, if you're good at something and you don't find a way to do it for the glory of God, then you're wrong. You're just wrong. And you need to repent of being wrong and uh, yield your heart to the Lord and what you're good at. Uh, so I just appreciate those who, who do that and bless us through that, and especially the musicians uh, here that do that. Well, this morning, um, I want to transition from all that we've been talking about for the whole year to Christmas. <laughs> um, and to do that, I'm going to take you to a text that we've not looked at all year. Uh, it's, it's actually found in the book of First Timothy, and First uh, Timothy, uh, we're going to look primarily at chapter one, verse five through eleven. But I, for those of you who were not here throughout this year, we began this year by ending up and uh, finishing up the book of Hebrews, which was teaching us about a more desirable faith, a more desirable Savior, a more desirable covenant. Uh, it was an emphasis on Jesus Christ and what we have in Jesus. And then we went to the book of Galatians, and we studied about the great gospel that we have, the gospel of grace. And we've looked at that book, and Paul was especially arguing that it's not by the working of the law that we improve our standing before God. It's nothing but the sheer grace of Christ that any of us have a relationship with God. And we went immediately from that to the law. All right, what, what is it that we're not saved by? What does that look like, this, this law? And when you study the Ten Commandments and the top ten for today and, and how it applies to our life today, and in it we saw how Jesus fulfills the law, how he helps us to fulfill the law. And so last Sunday we kind of did that summary uh, by looking at love. As Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments, he said it's all about loving God with all that you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. And then we look primarily at John 15, how Jesus helps us fulfill the law. Jesus himself, not just fulfilling the law, but helps us fulfill the law, establishes us in the working of the law. And so all throughout that time, I was trying to help you understand that it's not by going back to making sure that you uh, honor the name or that you are generous, or that you value life. It's not by the performing of these that you're saved. But when you embrace the Christ, embrace the gospel, these will come out. They will be effects in your life of the grace working in our life. So the Ten Commandments is not the road to get us to heaven. It's not the the, uh, stairway to heaven. But it is the road by which those who are saved do go. Okay, it is the the pathway that the Holy Spirit leads us down, not because or not to gain right um, status before God, but because there is right status in our life. The Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of Christ, who is the spirit of the father who wrote the Ten Commandments, will lead us down that road. So uh, I want to uh, bring the gospel and the law together. What does the gospel have to do with the law? And what does the law have to do with the gospel? And what do we pay attention? And what was the point of studying all those Ten Commandments anyway if we're saved by the grace of God and not by the working of the law? And so I think 1 Timothy chapter 5, 
uh, or chapter 1, rather, uh, verse 5 through 11, gets to the point, gets right to the point uh, of what it's all about. And so uh, I want us to read this together and uh, look at the idea that there is such a thing as an unlawful use of the law. There's such a thing as an unlawful use of the law. And uh, Paul highlights that for us. So let's stand as we read together 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 through 11. In the context of heresy and the church of Ephesus, Paul writes to Timothy, who is the, the leader, the pastor there, and gives them this word of warning. Verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for uh, the sexual and moral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. You may be seated. For those of you who are yearning for me to preach a Christmas message, I promise you I will. Uh, and uh, in fact, the next passage, we'll start seeing that. The, and, and what I want to argue for you is that all that we've talked about, the law and the gospel, has everything to do with the Christmas message. And we'll go there next week, I promise you, all right? Um, but that being said, let me continue to give this background. I, I'm captured by verse 5. Uh, when I was, I was just doing reading through this in my own personal devotions uh, some weeks ago, and verse 5 just uh, caught my attention and helping me to understand what the purpose of my life is as a pastor, but also the purpose of my life as a believer. And you're going to see that it goes remarkably uh, in line with all that we talked about last week. You remember, uh, Jesus said the summary, love God with all that you are, love your neighbor as yourself. It is the point of all, all of that uh, is which the law hangs upon. And so, consequently, verse 5, the aim of our charge is love. That's the point, all right? The aim of your charge as a father, as a husband, as a mother, as a wife, as a child, as a sibling, as a worker, as a church member, as a human being saved by Jesus Christ, the aim of your charge is love. Do you realize that you are under a charge by God to love Him and to love others. And God's going to hold us to that charge of love. But there are some important ingredients here. The aim of a charge is love, and He's going to give us several ingredients of which love flows from. The aim of our charge is love that issues or comes forth from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. All right. The gospel heart fulfills the law. For it is only the gospel that can come in and make a heart uh, pure. 
It is only the gospel that can come in and activate a conscience and make it good. It is only the gospel that can produce a sincere faith. And, as you see in verse 6, Paul is looking at this idea and he says, but you need to understand that there are some people who have misaligned the law. They have want to be good teachers. They want to be teachers of law, verse 7, but they've swerved away from the main point. They've swerved away from love, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And now they are making these confident assertions. They're very proud and confident in what they're doing. They want to be teachers of the Bible, but in their goal of being teachers of the Bible, they've corrupted the very text of which they're proud of. This lets us know we need to be very careful that there are those who can be Bible teachers and claim we are people of the book, but yet miss it altogether. I think as I read this, verse 6 and 7, I think these people would have said we are people of the book. And so, let me ask you this question. Have you ever read some material that was Christian and they were claiming the next great way to have a good family? and The next great way to have a good marriage? Or perhaps the next great way to have good finances in your life? Or it could be to uh, have good leadership if you do these seven habits, then you will be a good leader, a good manager of people, or perhaps you will uh, have uh, good missions if you do these things, or perhaps maybe you will have church growth if you do these steps in your uh, church life, Uh, or perhaps maybe uh, it will be along the ways of social justice. If you do these things, then you will be a socially just advocate Or perhaps maybe it's to say, well, if you do these seven steps, then uh, you will have evangelism in your life. And you will be evangelistic and, and you will be a good Christian if you do these things. And if you're not careful, you'll look at all these how to's and you will see if you're if you're watching for it, you will see a great absence of the gospel itself. Have you ever told yourself? If I just do these things, then maybe my husband's going to get it in gear. Or, the other way around, if I just do these five steps, then maybe my wife will be loving and be good at home. Or maybe as parents we say, if we just incorporate these disciplines in our life, then our children are going to grow up and we'll be so proud of them. If we just do these disciplines in our family's life. You do this with your as a manager, if you're working with people, I gotta make sure these things are in this atmosphere, this work environment, then everybody's gonna be motivated. But listen, is what you want really gonna be produced by external actions that you do? It seems to me that as I look at my own life and what I desire for me and my life, what I desire for my wife, what I desire for my children, what I desire from our church, what I desire for our church's work in this community and in this world is only going to come from a heart that is pure, that is going to have a good conscience and a sincere faith. And I'm going to just tell you, I'm flat out out of ideas on how to make a good heart. What can you do to produce a good heart, a clean conscience, and a sincere faith. I mean, 
I have failed. I cannot find that book that tells me if I do these things that my wife's going to do, have a good heart. And really, what I want for my kids is that. I want them to have good hearts. I want them to have clean consciences. I want them to have a sincere faith. And there's no measure of devotions that I can do to make sure that happens. There's no amount of times I can go to church and make sure my kids are in church for that to happen. That is the result of God's work. It's called the gospel. All right. I, you know, I remember um, we, we had this guy that was selling water filters. And we got bought. I mean, we, we, we just, he, he reeled us in. And he kept using this phrase, don't you want to have good, clean water? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I do. I want to have good, clean water. And it's talking about how it's the benefit for your hair, <laughs> your dishes, your body, your kids. Of course, we you know, had a couple kids at that time. And I was like, yeah, you know, that'd be great. I want good, clean water. And just him saying, and then he'd, he'd take his water and take glass and pour it like, Man, I just get thirsty, you know. He tapped into my, my thirst, and $5,000 later, I'm thinking, whoo, I hope we have some good, clean water. You know, it hurts. It hurts. And, and so that, that was what he kept saying, is good, clean water. And how is this going to happen? You've got this filtration system that's going to keep the minerals out. I'm going to tell you, filters are important in life. They're important in life. Important for your water. Important for your car. I learned that the hard way this past week as I was stranded outside the road and fuel pump wasn't working. And, and Greg was saying, you know, it helps to change your fuel filter at least once a year. Fuel filter, huh? Huh. Really? How much does that cost? Once a year. I didn't know I had one of those. All right. Gas gets down the bottom and all the minerals get into your, your engine systems. And it's bad. My heart needs a filter. My heart needs something to keep out the selfishness of myself. I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 4, how it says that out of the heart springs the issues of life. Therefore, guard it diligently. How do you guard your heart? How do you have a pure heart? The Muslims will tell you you have to do all these rituals and you have to fast and you sacrifice. But how, how can you make your heart clean? How many steps do I have to crawl? How many steps do I have to kiss? How many sacrifices do I have to make to make my heart clean again? I can't do it. But the Bible says that Jesus can. If I confess... My sins. He is just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. First John 1 9. What we pray for myself, what we pray for our family, for our children. God, will you show them how to have a clean heart? Will you show them the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done that their heart can be clean? And Lord, will you let the Holy Spirit come into their life? Let them use, let your Holy Spirit use the Word of God to be the filter of their life so that it can weed out and keep out those desires in our heart that will destroy us. Give us your Holy Spirit who will 
inactivate or activate our consciousness. The problem for most of our consciousness is that they're just dull. We have said no to our conscience, to that sense of what is right and wrong. We have ignored it so many times that it just stops knocking on our mind. The Bible says that the Spirit of God comes into our life to show us righteousness, to show us sin. Because we don't have Jesus here with us anymore in flesh. And so we have the Spirit with us, who is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Father, to show us the way to go. Activates our mind and our heart and a sincere faith. We have to have some trust in God. That's not some measure of fooling ourselves. But when we see the gospel, we see that God does indeed love us. When God wanted to reveal his thoughts toward us, he didn't just choose the latest tragedy in your life, the tragedy in the world. He chose his personal tragedy, the tragedy of his son dying and becoming your sin. He says, this is what I think of you. I love you. And when we get that intent from God and we see it in the cross, we see it in the gospel, then it lets us trust him. And so the faith is not something where we're fooling ourselves. But we believe God is who he says he is, and we trust in that. Any type of teaching that does not go to the gospel for the change of life is a false teaching. It is something that is abusing the law. So let's go to verse 8. The gospel can be undermined by the law. The gospel can be undermined by the law. Verse 8, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. All right? So there's that condition. And what's implied is that the law can be used unlawfully. All right? Unlawful use. Unlawful use of your uh, credit card is to use a credit card that is expired, revoked, and say, hey, put it on that account. Unlawful use. Of the credit card, okay? Um, and lawful use of the telephone is when uh, you use the telephone and you use it to harass someone, all right? And to badger them and to threaten them. You've committed unlawful use of the telephone, uh, unlawful use of the cars when I get into your car without talking to you and drive it off. Unlawful use of the car. Unlawful use of the announcements is when someone comes up and maligns the pastor, right, Mike? <laughs> okay? <laughs> All right, and lawful use of uh, the plunger. My son can demonstrate for you. All right, um, it is when we take that which has been made for a specific purpose with a specific authority, disregard that authority, disregard that purpose, and use it for our own desires. All right, so and lawful use of the law. We need to know what did God intend. When he gave us the commandments. Alright. What did he intend. When he gave us the commandments. First of all. Romans 8.3 says. For God has not done what the law. Weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son. The likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemns sin the flesh. Romans 8.3 tells me that the law. Is weakened by the flesh. It was not intended to save us. In other words, it's not intended to be that as measures of steps and behaviors, but if we do them, we sell ourselves, I'm right before God. As long as I do these ten things, 
that I'm right before God. That's never been the intention of it, and it's often how it's used. Let me ask this question, and I challenge you to ask this question to folks around you. If God was to ask you today, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? If God was to say to you, why should I let you to be in my holy presence, what would you say? I'm going to tell you that the most repeated answer is, well, I've done the best that I could. I've just done the best that I could. I, I, I don't know everything, I, you know, and I, I'm, I, but I did the best that I could. What is that? It's that there's standards that you've placed for yourself that if I do these standards, that's all I've got for God to approve of me. That's never been the intention of the law. And that is what most people do. They are unlawfully using the law by trying to make themselves better before God by these Ten Commandments. Romans 3.20 says very simply, For by the works of law no human being will be justified in his sights, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So let's us know the purpose of the law is to show us what sin is, not to be justified before God. All right? It cannot change our standing from guilty to innocent. Romans 7.4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. All right? So uh, it has lost some effect of, of being that saving agent. So that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So we cannot do the work of the law to bear fruit for the God. If we're going to bear fruit, it's going to be done by faith. Remember last week, John 15, it's going to be done by abiding by him, by the understanding that God loves you. He's not shocked or horrified by your sin, but knowing your sin invites you to make your home with him as a branch in the vine that bears fruit. Now, verse 9, the gospel... It can be undermined by the law when we abuse the law and see it as our way to improve our status before God as well as before man. Okay? When I say to a man, I'm better than you because I go to church. I'm better than you because I try not to lie and you lie like a dog. I don't know how dogs lie, but, you know, if you, if you have that type of view, you're abusing the law. You're a sinner before God. Just as that other person is a sinner before God. And the same grace that was be used by God to save that person is the same grace God's using to save you. It's not the place for us to compare with one another and saying who's better than another. But the gospel is highlighted by the law. It can be undermined the law, but it is highlighted by the law when used correctly. Verse 9. Understanding this. In other words, this is the key to understanding the lawful use of the law. What, what is the lawful use of the law? Well, verse 9, Paul says, I want you to understand this, for you to know this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. All right? The law was never given for the believer to say, this is how, or this is by the means, and the strength that I am going to be just. Because the Bible says the just live by faith. All right? Let me just bring out some verses here that speak to this. Galatians 2.16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. Now, it, it, took, me, it took me back a little bit after studying Galatians and going to the Ten Commandments. Here's what took me back. Galatians chapter 2 
verse 16 and then the first commandment. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. And I put that with Galatians 2.16 and it tells me this. I'm not saved by having God as God. (laughs) Does that strike you as a little off? It struck me as a little off. Well, wait a second. I'm saved so that I can have God as God, right? Yes, you are. But I'm not saved because I have God as God. Because as we've read through the Ten Commandments, it has become very clear that God has not been God in my life. Where I sin in all these areas of the Ten Commandments reveals idols of my soul. I am saved because God has saved me by His grace. So that I will have no other gods before me. Because all other gods pale in comparison to what God has done and who he is. So do you get that? Galatians 2.16. I'm not saved because God is God. I'm saved because God's grace. But God's grace is coming in my life so that God will be God. And when we put other idols knowing this about God. Then we are trampling over the grace of God by lifting up all these idols. Galatians three nineteen through twenty six. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made and is put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Interesting enough, when you go back to Exodus chapter twenty. In fact, just. Put your finger in, in this passage. Go to Exodus chapter 20. And we stopped um, at verse 17. But it's interesting the people's reaction to verse 18 and 19. After these people were called out by God at, from Egypt or out of Egypt into the promised land. They're at Mount Sinai. They're hearing these promises of God or hearing the commands of God by his voice. I mean, Moses is talking. They're hearing God's voice from the mountain. Uh, but notice their reaction. Now when, verse 18, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. What are they crying out for? Moses, will you stand in between Will you be the intermediary? We cannot handle the voice of God speaking to us. Moses, just you speak for God because we keep hearing the voice of God. We're going to die. They're crying out for an intermediary that Moses could not be. Moses could not be. And so is there any wonder that we see here in Galatians this, this cry for an intermediary? Verse 19 and 20. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everyone under sin, so that promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So the law was condemning us, pointing us to a Savior, a Redeemer to come. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God 
through faith. Is there any wonder when Mary gets the word from the angel that in you will be a savior, his name will be Jesus, that she cries out and sings in joy? Is there any wonder when the shepherds hear that unto you is born this day a savior, that they say to one another, let us go this day and worship this child is there any wonder that when Simeon sees the baby that the Messiah that he cries out and says this is for whom I've lived for now I can die for I've seen his promise in my hands because they have been living under the law hoping longing waiting for a gospel to come a good news a Messiah to come to take them from their sin and that is why there's such praise that people will travel from the far east to come to the see this one. And that is why we still praise God today. It is to know that the Bible says that I am condemned before God because I lie. I steal the glory of God. I am a coveter. I am a lust. I am a, uh, a person who is an idolater. I am these persons and I am deserving of eternal separation from God. I need help. I need help. And that's where the Messiah comes in. And the law highlights this. Now, notice there's other passages here. Romans 7, 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, but that, that it is good. In other words, when I am horrified at my own sin, I'm agreeing with the law. Romans three twenty eight. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, it's interesting. He's about to list several sins. 14. Pairs. He's got, he's got several pairs, 14 uh, sins. But do you notice something familiar here? As we go through this, verse uh, 9. But for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. All right? These three pairs are summaries, are negative summaries of the first four commands, of the Ten Commandments. Okay? Negative summaries. So he takes that person who is disobeying the Ten Commandments and takes them to their extreme. The person is lawless, disobedient, ungodly, uh, sinners, unholy, profane, taking the name of the Lord of God in vain, these type of things. And then for the next ones, he's going to summarize the next six by listing out uh, what we would say is the most deviant behaviors of these sins. Those who strike their fathers and mothers so they're not honoring their parents they're striking them with the point of, I'm going to kill them, all right? For murderers, all right? The sexually immoral and men who practice homosexuality, this is going back to thou shalt not commit adultery, all right? And we're talking about the value of what that is, and these are folks who have gone to extremes of those, uh, those uh, disobedient acts. Enslavers, all right? Thou shalt not steal. They're, they're not only doing that but they're stealing people and, and enslaving them liars perjurers and this is ones who uh who uh do not or should not bear false witness against the neighbor and they're doing exactly that and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine so he's listening out all these ten commandments uh these who have greatly uh been abuses of them he says that the law is for these the law is for people such as us who tend to practice sin. And the law is saying, don't be deceived. You practice these things, you are not part of God's family. We have great abilities to deceive ourselves. 
And the law comes in to reveal, as a mirror does, to reveal exactly who we are. I mean, you know, the other day, yesterday I was, I was coming here. I didn't have time to do a lot with my hair. Not that I ever do much, um, but I did even less this day. And uh, I, was, I was driving back, and I had some children in the back, and they were like, <laughs> Pastor Jared's hair sticking up, you know? Um, I, had, I had no clue. I had no clue. But it, it takes someone to observe. And then I looked in the mirror and said, you're right. My hair's sticking up. I'll put my hat on, you know? And, and so the law does that. The law comes in and says, you're messed up. You're messed up before God. And there needs to be a change that takes place. And whatever, notice this, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, sound healthy doctrine. Doctrine, don't we usually think of what's in our head? The teachings. But you know what he's doing? He's equating behavior with sound doctrine. There are so many folks who say, well, I believe all the right stuff. I believe in the Bible. I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a member of that Baptist church up there off Hodge Road. And, uh, you know, I go and attend, and they teach the Bible, and I'm great with that. I want someone to teach the Bible and step on my toes, but they do nothing about it. But we tell ourselves we're living by sound doctrine. Paul is saying, if you hold to that, but yet your behavior is against the law, you are not practicing sound doctrine. It's not just in your head. It's what you do with your life. Sound doctrine. So what do we do with the law? If it highlights... It highlights the gospel. You, we read things like Psalm 1-2, where it says, Blessed is the man who, who, is, who delights in the law, who walks and meditates on the law. Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law is my meditation all the day. Why would I love that law that tells me I'm a sinner? Why would I want to meditate on that? All right? Well... This is something Paul struggled with, Romans 7, 21, 22. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. In other words, I am frustrated and angry with myself because in my heart, I know it's wrong to lie. And it is good and is right to tell the truth and to hold on to life and to hold it sacred and to be pure before God, before someone else. I know that is right and I'm frustrated with myself. Romans 3, verse 31 do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. You see, here's something you need to remember. The God on Mount Sinai, who says, Thou shalt have no other God before me, is the same one who died on the cross. And we tend to forget that. The same God that says, you shall have no other idols. You shall have no graven image. The same God that says these things is the same God who walked on this earth with us and said, I've come to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. Because he's the same one. Isn't that why we celebrate in this year Emmanuel, which means God with us? So when I read the Ten Commandments, I'm reading about the character of Jesus Christ. I'm reading about who he is. And I love Jesus because Jesus loves me. As we read about last week in John 15. I want to read about the one who loves me. Isn't it something, when you know the author, you've met the author, isn't it fascinating to read their book? What I'm telling you is that 
because of Christ, you get to know the author and you want to read about what he writes, what is about him. And so when I read about the fact that there shall have no other gods before me, I know that's who Jesus is and that's his character. When I read about the fact that he does not bear false witness against his neighbor, I'm learning about Jesus Christ. And guess what happens when the Bible says the Spirit of God is in me? It's the Spirit of the Father who is the Spirit of Jesus. And so when I read about the Ten Commandments, I am reading about the road that the Holy Spirit is longing to take me on. And so when I read these things, it doesn't tell me to go back to say, okay, I don't want to steal. I want to be generous. I better be generous this time of year. Because if I'm not generous, I'm not going to get in right with God. That's not the right attitude. But it reveals I'm not up, I'm not treasuring Christ in my financial life. So what's the answer? Treasuring Christ. You see, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled face behold, are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What is the solution? It is to look at the glory of God. It is to look at Jesus Christ. It is to treasure who He is, what He's done on Christmas time, to not get sidetracked by the silly bells and whistles of the year, but to look at the heart of who Jesus is, the treasure of what He's done, and never get past that, to live in the atmosphere of His love. To let that nourish us in that. And as we do that, as we behold His glory, it's amazing. There's a change that takes place from glory to glory. The power of the gospel. The law comes in and looked at correctly just highlights the gospel. And so all of what we study in Galatians, all of what we study in the Ten Commandments as we come to this Christmas season, it's all wrapped up in hold on to Jesus. Hold on to him. The solid rock on which we stand. I have nothing else. Everything else. All the works that I do is nothing but sinking sand. And it's found in Christ. So why, why celebrate Christmas? Because from it comes everything. From it comes everything. And if we ignore the Christ of Christmas, we lose out on it all. So I want to just challenge you this morning. If you do not know Jesus Christ, I am saying you stand condemned before God. If you do not know Jesus as your saving Lord, experience the forgiveness work of Christ, and you're still trusting on your works, and I, I give you that question, why should God let you into heaven? And you say, you know, Pastor, I honestly don't know, or I'm just doing the best that I can, and you're telling me that's not enough. I am saying there is a way for you. It's the way that I've gone. It's the way that others have gone. It's the way that Jesus teaches. It's through Jesus to come before him and say, I have nothing on my own. I trust in what Jesus has done and him alone. He is my life. And I want to love him as he's loved me. And this morning, I make that decision to surrender my heart to him. Will you do that this morning? Let's pray.